Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 10, and I'm going to read a chunk of scripture, and then we're going to look at the first four verses in that section, verses 10 through 14. But let me read that section of Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me that words might be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am, I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray before we look at this passage. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us this morning out of the places of darkness from which we came before we knew you, Lord, and even out of our homes this morning. And as we just sang, we, we truly are here for you, Lord. As much as we may like each other or enjoy um, certain aspects, Lord, of, of fellowship, we, we truly are here for you, dear Lord. So we pray now that you would open our eyes to the need of our soul, that you would open our hearts to understand and to embrace your word to live according to it, that we might not be double-minded. But Lord, that we would be steadfast in your word and in your ways. We pray that you would accomplish that this morning and, and give me words and utterance as I ought to speak, as Paul prayed, that I might declare it boldly, the mystery of the gospel uh, from this passage. And, and we pray this together, anticipating your work, dear Lord. Amen. So this morning's message is called Conflict Ready. And uh, this is, uh, some of you may or may not know, or some of you may or may not care, uh, this is uh, what some people celebrate as Reformation Sunday. And uh, we don't make a big deal of that, but I like to acknowledge that um, the Reformation, which began now 502 years ago, uh, with uh, on Halloween, Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses against the Wittenberg Chapel door. Uh, he did not mean to split the church. He wanted to reform the church, but what took place was a, a double down on the Catholic side to say, no, we, we truly are entrenching ourselves in what we believe. And so it kind of gave the reformers no choice but to uh, disembark from fellowship from the Catholic church. And really what began the Protestant Reformation, which is to protest against. And I think it's sort of a fitting theme to discuss conflict in terms of the Christian life this morning, on, on a Sunday which acknowledges and recognizes uh, the sometimes necessary conflict uh, that Christians must engage with in order to maintain faithfulness to God. The Christian life is not conflict-free. So, one of my concerns as a pastor, and the reason why we're doing this break from Acts, 
and we're going to look at these two different series before Christmas, is that my concern as a pastor is that I would declare to you or teach you the whole counsel of God's word. There's a little story in the book of Acts later that we're going to look at that when Paul leaves one of the churches, he leaves the Ephesian church, which is actually the church um, to whom this letter is addressed. He leaves those elders and he says, I have told you everything. I have not held back anything of God from you. That should be the aim of every Christian preacher and teacher that we would say we have held back nothing from you. We have given you the whole counsel of God's word. And the difficulty with that is that the, the Bible is a long book, isn't it? So how do you preach the whole counsel of God's word to a congregation? Well, you just keep doing it for one. You don't stop preaching. You don't stop going through the Bible. You never exhaust yourself of God's word. Uh, but really, the idea is to be equipped for ministry. Your purpose in being here is to worship God and to be equipped as a Christian to do what God has called you to do. We actually did a series on that called Discipleship 101. And you can find that on our website and on our podcast. You can find a, a series called Discipleship 101. And it's all about being equipped as a disciple as you come to church. And that was also out of the book of Ephesians. Now, Aside from just being equipped and recognizing that we need to do that, we are also walking on a two-way street in terms of receiving the whole counsel of God's word. Um, there's, a, there's a preacher in California, whether you like him or whether you don't like him, this is an interesting fact. He was, uh, in, he's been in ministry now 50 years, and it was some single-digit years ago. It was only four or five years ago that for the first time in his ministry, he had preached through the entire Bible some 45 years into his ministry. Now, maybe you say, well, that's too long, but for right or for wrong, it, it, it was 45 some odd years before he had preached the whole word to his congregation. Now, how many people do you think were there on day one who were there at the very end of that? Not many, but there are some. I went to that church and I met somebody who was there on that first Sunday and is still there. Uh, but that's not many people who stay in a church for 40 years. And so part of my concern as a pastor, this is the two-way street. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rattle you a little bit, and, I, and I'm going to speak this in love so that we can uh, get to where we need to get to as a church together. But this is a two-way street receiving the whole counsel of God's word. My lane in the street is to prayerfully and, con and, and carefully consider what it is that you need as a, as a congregation here in Smith Falls in 2019 to think about where are we as a church? What are the issues that we're facing? What are some potential issues that we need to fix together? What are some things that we're doing? Well, preaching looks different in every single congregation, which is why preaching or going to preaching on, on YouTube or podcast is wonderful, but there is no substitute for the teaching that you are getting in your local church because that preacher should be thinking about and praying about what do these people need? So that's my lane on the street. This is your lane. Your lane in receiving the full counsel of God word, God's word. And if this applies to you, if the boot fits, wear it. Otherwise, just say amen. You need to abandon your flippant relationship with church worship, with Sunday worship. That's your lane in the street of receiving God's word. You will never receive the full counsel of God's word if your relationship with Sunday morning is, is utterly scattered. It's way down the list on your priorities. 
and it's frankly unimportant to you and your family. You'll, ne- you'll never receive God's full counsel. Because as we see, it takes a long and hard amount of time to do it anyway, even if we are all together. But I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you very lovingly, uh, make church worship, make Sunday worship a priority for you so that God can continue to expose you to his word that you might grow. So that's, that's my loving cage rattling this morning so that we together can walk in the full counsel of God's word. Now, on that note, here's, okay, you can write this down if you like little uh, sayings for bumper stickers. A sermon is not a pill for your pain. A sermon is not a pill for your pain. It's part of a lifelong diet for life transformation. Okay, and so if you struggle with that reality, well, I come to church when I need it. I come to church when I'm feeling weak. I come to church when I need a boost. That's not what church is about. It's not a special pill for your specific issue. It's a lifelong dietary intake of God's word that you might be transformed season by season and year by year. You may not feel lightning bolts of change on any given Sunday, but you will see a sea sea change of difference in your life over a course of devotion to God and his word and his church. Now, if you are somebody who has put any amount of effort or investment in Christ and his church, you will know that conflict is inevitable. Conflict is coming. Conflict has been. You have either walked through it, you are walking through it now, or you are about to walk through it. And I'm not just talking about conflict with, you know, what flavor of cookies to, to serve in the cafe. I'm talking about serious types of conflict, relational conflict with other people, spiritual wounds, even spiritual demonic attacks upon your life. For any who have stuck their neck out for the church, you recognize that I am not speaking in hyperbole this morning. Conflict is coming. And in fact, it's already here. Paul wants to tell us that it's already here. So your job is not to go looking for it. Your job is to get ready for it. Your job is to get ready for it and and not to be surprised by it. And if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to this and you're thinking, what on earth is this preacher doing? I thought they wanted me to stay in church. It would be unwise for us as a church not to make you totally aware that Satan hates the church, he hates Christians, and he is on the offensive in order to destroy it. He won't. We prayed this morning at our 930 prayer. We reminded each other that the church is actually indestructible. It's unstoppable. Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will stand against it. But it doesn't mean Satan is not going to devote every part of his resource to attack and undermine that church. Alan actually reminded us us of that last week when he uh, preached on Paul getting stoned for the first time. He had been so badly injured that they dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. He was essentially, the coroner essentially pronounced Paul dead. He had been so badly wounded by this stoning. He got up the next day by some miraculous intervention and went back into the city to preach. I mean, conflict is inevitable for the church. And it falls to us as to how to respond. And God's word does not leave us empty. It does not leave us uninformed for this conflict. Which is why our sermon this morning is conflict ready. Not conflict anxious. Not conflict avoidant, not conflict suppressant, but conflict ready. Because my goal for us as a church is that we would be ready for conflict. Ready to stand, as Paul says. 
So our, our outline just kind of breaks down into two very basic ideas. Number one is that we are in a spiritual conflict. We're already there. And our next point is that the conflict demands readiness. We are already in the spiritual conflict. And this conflict demands readiness. That's sort of our two hangers that we're going to hang this passage on this morning. So starting in verse 10, Paul says, Finally, this is at the end of the letter. He has given them doctrinal assurance of their salvation. He has given them practical instruction for a spirit-filled life. He has given husbands, wives, and children specific instruction for living in the family. God's primary government, which is the family. He's given instructions for masters and bond servants. And, and, and he has really laid out this beautiful treatise on the Christian life. And he finishes with this. He's given all necessary instruction for the church. And he says, finally, be strong. In other words, what I have told you is not going to be a cakewalk for you. All that you have just heard from me is not going to be easy, come naturally, or, or simple in terms of your Christian obedience. It is going to be dogged with conflict. Your life is now going to experience a massive amount of resistance. So finally, be strong, he says. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This word, be strong, is one word in the Greek, and it's a passive verb. And so, you know, some of us want to puff our chests out right now and say, oh, great, they're talking to the strong here. But this verb is passive. It means be strengthened, receive strength. In other words, you are insufficient in and of yourself to face this conflict. You need to receive strength. And now this, this passage is peppered with where the strength comes from. It does not take a biblical scholar to figure out who provides the strength. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, all remind us of where this strength comes from. It's the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And this is sort of a double emphasis of the same point, which is that God provides the strength for the conflict that you are going to face. We need to receive from God the provision of strength. The, the reality here is that conflict is not imagined, but, but real. And that the conflict invites us to desire an outcome. The outcome that we desire, that God desires for us, is victory. This is not just like a fight your best and then go running away and say you tried. This is, this is a plan for victory in the church. The conflict is real, but it, it's not just, you know, an exhibition game. God has actually laid out for Christians and provided for Christians the path to victory. Christianity is not passive. It is not uh, neither here nor there in terms of um, its progress. As we already say, stated that the church will have an inevitable progress until Christ comes back. The kingdom will inevitably advance and expand until Jesus Christ himself comes back. So victory is already won for us, but there is a means to receive that victory and to walk in that victory. And it's to be received from God. It's not to search within ourselves. It's not to find our, our inner chi balance. Okay, It's not to declutter your life, although that may be useful. This strength comes from God. It comes from God. And so Christians humbly are in a posture of receiving this strength. I'd like to make a point about what Paul is doing here. He is taking the image of a Roman soldier preparing 
for battle, and we're not quite there yet. But what I want to emphasize to you is that the tone for preparing for conflict is inevitably masculine. It is inevitably man-driven. Paul is not ignoring women here. This is a call for all Christians for all time to be conflict-ready, to put on the armor of God. But But Paul is almost using this imagery to specifically arouse and engage with men. This is a masculine call for Christianity. As I said, this is something that we face as the church. We face this together. We face this as families, as brothers and sisters. Okay, this is not a gender-specific command. But what Paul is telling us is that unless men answer this call, unless men truly in a unique way take up this charge, the church will flounder. Paul is using this militaristic uh, language Just like a nation being called to battle recruits primarily men and should, so in the church, the front line must be attended by men. Men who will say, we will take up this charge, we will engage in the battle, we will be protective of the church. And this is why I'm unapologetic about saying to our men, I want to disciple you to strengthen you It's not because women don't need discipleship and are not wildly capable, wise, gracious people in the church. But it's because if we're a church of cowardly, passive men, guess who will need to step up? And men, I want to encourage you that you are uniquely gifted to do this. You are uniquely empowered in your family to influence your children. Not because you're more godly than your wife, but because God has instilled biologically in the two genders unique types of glory and unique types of callings. And so Paul is not apologetic about using this masculine call. And I pray as a church that we are attractive and comfortable for men to be in. A lot of men don't feel comfortable in churches because faith has been largely feminized. And in the church, it's not So we need to relish in and enjoy and glory in the distinctions between men and women. And again, this is a call for the entire church. This is not a call for women to be passive. This is not a call for women to step aside. This is a call to specifically engage with men, to lead and to empower their wives also, and to protect them in the faith. And the the, the scriptures are unapologetic about that call. Men must step to the front line in the same way that they would in a national conflict. The battle imagery makes that perfectly clear. The reason is, the reason for that is because entrance into Christ's kingdom is not a casual or easy thing. It's not like here's option A, here's option B, you know, do your best with what you know and pick something and then we'll all just try to tolerate each other's beliefs. When Peter talks about baptism, which is the entrance into the kingdom... It's to leave behind your life of sin and to take up a new life filled with the Spirit. He compares baptism with entering Noah's Ark. And when I say Noah's Ark, you might think, oh, I know that cute story where there's a little boat and all the the giraffe's head is sticking out the window and there's a little dove flying around. We need to recognize that the story of Noah's Ark is a hundred-year endeavor of Noah building a boat, being constantly ridiculed by the culture around him, learning to take care of animals and how to breed them and how to manage them in the period of a year existing on a boat, 
being tossed by the, by the waves rolling on the sea-covered earth at the destruction of every living creature outside of that ark. Entering the Christian faith is likened to entering that ark. It's a one-way trip, and it's a serious conflict. And the stakes are very high. And so when the stakes are highest, the call to action and the call to readiness is most grave. So we don't enter it casually. We don't deal with the realities casually. We want to open our eyes to this conflict and say, this is God's word to the church. How are we living? And so he says in verse 11, put on the armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The second section in this passage speaks about our enemy. There's no point in putting on armor if there is no enemy to fight. I don't know if you've ever um, seen uh, like prepping shows where people, they, they stock their basements with canned goods. And if you do that, that's cool. That's totally fine. Uh, but they make a show of the people who are most extreme. And um, you see some of them and, and, and they're posing and they're, they're in military gear from head to toe. And they've got a mask on and they've got like hand grenades strapped to their vest and a pistol on each hip and a gun. And they're like, I'm ready. But what's a little bit, and some of you are giggling, right? Oh, come on, it's serious. But what, why, the reason we giggle is because there's not really an enemy that they're prepared to fight. They're just, they're just saying, anybody who crosses me is dead. That's crazy. That's not being ready. That's being crazy. Okay? And so what Paul is saying to us is that there is a real enemy. This is, this is not an imagined foe. This is not a, 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 a war games exercise. This is not a cute little dress-up game. Put on the armor... Because there's an enemy. So let's look at who the enemy is. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil. And so we have Satan as as the central and clear enemy of God's people. He uses this word schemes. It's, It's a word that can also be translated trickery. So Satan... In his attempt against the church, in his uh, assaulting against the church, he does not just hang giant pieces of sin or, or traps in front of you. This word scheming is to expose and to, to consider how to expose your lack of preparedness. He wants to exploit your unreadiness to fight. That's what scheming is. He literally schemes against the church to discover where they are most vulnerable and launch his assaults there. Which is why armor is necessary. And it begins, as a Roman soldier would begin with the most basic elements and build out all the way until the sword is finally adorned at the end. You don't pick up the sword while you're still in your underwear, right? And so this soldier is shown to be carefully planning out his dress. He's been called into war and he begins by putting on the belt. He begins with the the armor most close to the body. The belt is tied in with the breastplate. They are actually attached together. They hold together. And then out from there, it goes with the armor. And so we have this ruthless enemy. 
as I said, it's not a war game. And I want to also emphasize something that your greatest enemy is not your wife or your husband. It's not your boss. It's not your strong-willed child. It's not the prime minister, no matter who you voted for last Monday. Your enemy is none of those people. Your enemy is the ruler of darkness. His name is Satan, and he is focused in his assaults. He exploits our weakness, and he exposes our unpreparedness. Now, what we need to recognize is that real weapons are actually useless in this battle. Real weapons are useless in this battle. And so if you want to be a, a Christian prepper and get your machine guns and set up your fences, you, you are doing nothing to protect against Satan's schemes. Look at the way Paul describes it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, I'm using army imagery, but enrolling in the army is not going to fight against Satan. It's a spiritual battle and it requires spiritual armor. He says, we wrestle against the rulers, against authorities, and against cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul has just done there is he has described to you Satan's hierarchy of his organization. In the same way that Christ has a kingdom and has a structure to it, Satan has a structure in his kingdom. There's a hierarchy of authority and of functions in his demonic world. There's four sections to it. He has against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, and spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So we have local, we have municipal, we have provincial, we have national, and we have international. In other words, is what Paul is saying. Satan has structured his kingdom to attack every single level of God's kingdom. This is a serious foe who has set up a serious kingdom against Christ. And so physical weapons are useless. And so we turn to God for spiritual weapons who can provide for us an armament of preparation against this enemy. God is faithful to equip us in this realm. And so this is the spiritual conflict we're in. Now let's look at the readiness that this conflict demands. The readiness that this conflict demands. So we've described the conflict for the church. Now let's look at the readiness that's demanded. As I said, it's a picture of a Roman soldier. This would have been well-known imagery to the people in the first century. Roman soldiers would patrol in in the, the regions of Roman control. They had a vast empire and they would police it with soldiers and centurions. And this armor would be very familiar, a very familiar sight to the first century Christian. Uh, these weren't soldiers that you could just go up and play games with. Like the British soldiers, you go and, you know, you make faces and try to make them laugh. Uh, this would not be done in the first century with Roman soldiers. Uh, they would be fit to kill. And you would not mess with them. And they, and they stake their lives on their jobs. In fact, the penalty for failure for a Roman soldier was in fact death. So a Roman soldier either protected the interests of Rome or faced his own death. Uh, These guys were deadly serious about their calling. And Paul says, that's the mindset you need to take on for this battle. We are fighting for a real kingdom, the reward for which is eternal life. It's a serious call. Now, I want to show you a picture. Uh, I have a picture here of a friend of mine. You might recognize him, although you may not. Um, 
he goes to our church. His name's Morgan. And I asked him for this picture this week because Morgan is one of the most uh, prepared people for his activities that I have ever known. If you go to the parking lot right now, he's got a truck that he has a graphite hood wrap on, his, uh, on, the, on the front of his truck. He's got an LED strip of lights at the top. All right, so if he's caught in the, in the bush and the sun goes down, he can get out. It's got all-wheel drive. Okay, this guy knows how to be prepared for a conflict. This is Morgan, uh, ready to hunt. And I don't know if that, is that a coyote hunting gun, Morgan? Yeah, so Morgan hunts all the animals. He has a different gun for each one. But this is a guy who when he, he knows what he's looking for and he's ready for it. Look at the shoes that match the pants, that match the jacket, that match the gloves, that matches the hat. I'm pretty sure he grew that scruff too, just to blend in a little bit more. Look at the scope. The scope is wrapped in camouflage tape. This is a guy who says, I'm going to go hunt coyotes and I'm not going out in a sombrero and flip-flops and a water pistol. It, and we do this every day, don't we? I mean, it, it was raining this morning. How many of you just put on a rain jacket or put rubber boots on your child? Uh, you, you didn't live in denial and say, well, I'm just going to throw my Hawaiian shirt on and just stroll out there because fall is coming. We prepare for the environments in which we live. Okay, well, let's remove the distraction. Let's go back to our slide. It's absurd to consider facing a situation in our lives being utterly unprepared. And, and some of us are by virtue of a lack of planning or a lack of um, understanding. But it's absurd to think of ourselves as entering a situation totally unprepared for it. And Paul says, if you know the conflict that's ahead of you, why on earth would you not consider to make yourself as prepared as you possibly can be? And so all of this is providing context for the, the armor that Paul is about to supply, that he's about to teach us to wear. And I love this because Paul, he doesn't just say, well, be like a soldier, be really tough. You know, get tough, get, get strong, get mentally tough, get trained. He goes through the armor as would a Roman soldier. He goes through the process of preparing yourself for that battle. No Roman soldier wakes up in the morning already wearing the armor. They don't wear that to bed. They get up in the morning and they prepare for battle in a meticulous and systematic way. And so he begins with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I was going to do just the belt this week, but in my study, I recognized that the, breast, the breastplate and the belt are, are sister instruments for the war. They go on in succession, the belt and then the breastplate, and they actually intertwine one with another. And they, they take this, um, this paired characteristic of truth and righteousness. They're not the same work in, word in the Greek, but they are almost synonymous for the same thing. Truthfulness. This word truthfulness just pertains to sort of the divine reality. Truthfulness or what is in line with God's will. It's the concept of rightness. And in fact, the word righteousness is a manifestation of truthfulness. We read in the Psalms last week, give the king your righteousness or justice or truthfulness. It is the quality of being uh, in line with the truth. It's not a specific allusion to the word of God. We get to that at the end of the armor. This is a preparedness by being in line with truthfulness. And he gives it to us in the form of the belt. Now a belt, some of you are wearing a belt right now, mostly just to hold your pants up. 
I'm going to go to Morgan again because Morgan has a belt that actually holds equipment in it. He's got a pen in there and a book. And so belts in some contexts have more of a functional uh, purpose for us in our culture. But for a soldier, the belt was not just a fashion statement. It was not just to keep the pants up. The belt would actually wrap around the loose fitting clothing that a soldier would be wearing outside of battle. First century men would wear robes uh, that were both protective from the sun, but also uh, loose enough for um, you know, circulation of, of air and of, and of that sort of thing. In that hot climate, you would need uh, lots of, um, what's the word for flappy, you know, flowing. Thank you. It's a more gracious word. Flowing clothing. Now, this would be really inappropriate to enter a battle with flowing robes, Right? It just would not work. You can't move fast. You can't move uh, accurately. And so the belt actually served to restrain and, and fit the robes around the form of the body. It would hold back that which would impede the soldier. All right. They didn't have under armor back then. He didn't throw his robes off and put his under armor on. The belt was to restrain the things that would make fighting difficult, that would trip him up in battle. It would contour the undergarments of the soldier ready to adorn the rest of the armor. It would also secure the rest of the armor, which would give the soldier full mobility of motion and full security while he moved. If you ever played sports, hockey is a really good one because there's a lot of different pieces. It's, like, it's kind of like armor. There's not many sports that are more suited up than hockey. But the worst is when you're playing hockey and some piece of your equipment starts slipping. You ever felt that where a shin pad just starts sliding down or the tape came off or one of your elbow pads starts slipping down? It's not easy to fix because you've got the jersey on top of that. Or your pants goes twisting and there's other pieces of equipment we won't mention. And if stuff is not lined up, it is just, it's hard to get out there and give your best. It's hard to get out there and give 100% on a shift because you're literally worried about your equipment and what's happening to it. The belt would restrain everything and secure everything so that the soldier could focus on the conflict. This is what truthfulness does for the Christian. Truthfulness, it, it, it carves back those ways of hypocrisy. It guards back and it restrains double-mindedness. It exposes us to be corrected by God. If we are devoted to the truth, we are also devoted to correction, right? Because the truth is the truth no matter who says it. And so if we need to be restrained by truthfulness, if we're not willing to be, if we're going to reject God's correction or reject the idea of God, we will never be ready to enter Christian ministry, to enter the Christian life. And so the belt is there uh, providing this basis for the rest of the equipment. It's the very first item to be adorned, and then it ties in with the breastplate. Now I want to share with you just a, two verses, because Paul is taking this imagery also from the Old Testament. Oh, I would be in Psalms. Okay, Isaiah chapter 11. You don't need to turn there, just listen. Isaiah chapter 11, and then in Isaiah 59, there's these twofold passages which describe the armor that Paul is now uh, exhorting Christians to adorn. The righteous reign of the branch. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is actually anticipation of Christ. We may hear about this in December. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, but decide disputes by what his ear hears. Or not, not by what his ear hears. 
but by the righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So this is, this is the battle imagery assigned to the Messiah who is Christ. Now listen to verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so there's that idea of righteousness girding up all that Christ does. And then also in Isaiah 59, we have a context where there's wickedness rampant on the earth. Things are looking really bad for the people of God. God says, justice is turned back and righteousness is far away. The truth has stumbled in the public squares. Hasn't that described Canada perfectly? The truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself pray. The Lord saw it and it displeased him for there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one on earth to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Listen to this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation for his head. He put on garments of vengeance for his clothing. And so we see this idea that as God responds to evil in the world, the imagery is militaristic. That God adorns himself in righteousness in order to carry out the work of his hand. It's amazing that he gives that same imagery to the church today. For you to be an instrument of God's work on the earth, we must adorn ourselves in the same way that the Messiah was described in the Old Testament. That we adorn ourselves to counteract these forces of evil. We are a force of resistance against Satan in the world. And if not us, then who? Who is standing up against falsehood? Who is standing up against injustice in our world? Who else is doing this if not the church? If the church is not standing up in the public square where truth has stumbled, resisting the forces of deception from Satan, then who is? So the church must take seriously that we are given this same call, this same call to be adorned and to be ready. One other function of the belt was that it would, at the very end of being ready for battle, it would actually support the weapon. It would support the sword. And we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But without the belt, you are helplessly exposed and you are playing dress up. 1 Peter 1.2 says, Therefore, depart, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy. In other words, the Christian must take no part in hypocrisy. The Christian must not live a double-minded life. The Christian must not be deceptive. One thing on the outside, another in private. One type of person in public and another in private. The Christian must expose him and herself to the full counsel of God's will, living in private as they do in public. Truthfulness is our belt. If we will not live truthful lives, putting away deceit and hypocrisy, the rest of the armor literally just bounces around and falls off. The belt secures us ready for battle, and it is truthfulness. When Christ came before Pilate, he said to him, I have come to witness to the truth. The very same word is here is in here in, uh, in Ephesians 6. I have come to witness to the truth. In other words, to the cosmic reality of who God is. And then he says this, all who are of the truth, hear my voice. In other words, people who are dealing truly honestly with the truth, really acknowledging that it is the reality, they will hear the voice of Christ. 
It is those who deny a rational response to the truth who will never know Christ because all of his claims are true and he witnesses to the reality that we see all around us. So the Christian has to be committed to a transparent and humble regard for the truth. What I mean by that is not keeping up walls, not keeping up facades or masks, not dealing dishonestly with God and with our brothers and sisters, but having a humble regard for the truth. For righteousness and justice as described. Those who would reject truth, reject rebuke or correction. They conceal the truth and they're unstable and they're unfit and they're unprepared to face the world as a Christian. So in closing, I'd like to ask you, what kind of spiritual concern do you show for yourself and your family? What kind of spiritual concern do you show for yourself and for your family in light of this conflict? Because the enemy comes. The enemy comes. He's not knocking on doors wondering who's ready before he launches his attack. He's a schemer. His ways are full of trickery. He will find you where you have been exposed and he will dig and dig and push and push, forcing us to shore up our lives. I I, I didn't give a whole lot of regard to spiritual warfare before I was a church planter. Because when you get serious about God's kingdom and about his work, Satan comes. He comes in spades and he comes mercilessly and he drives you to the Lord. That's what's so beautiful is that God is so powerful that even when Satan launches his worst attack to the true Christian, he's driving us to the arms of our father. That's how powerful God is. God's like, oh shoot, I need to send more ammo down there because we run to God and God prepares us and he strengthens us. So Satan is made all the more weak. The harder he pushes, the weaker he becomes. Because when Christians, when we come to our Father, when we come to the Word, when we abide in Christ, when we exist in the church, we are made strong in Christ. And so I want to exhort you. What are you doing to prepare yourself and to be ready for these realities? Uh, Our family and family devotions this week, we looked at uh, Joseph being tempted by Potiphar's wife. And if you don't know the story, um, it's in Genesis 40, I think. And um, basically, Joseph was promoted to the highest place. And and there was this beautiful woman who was tempting him day after day when her husband was out. And she would tempt him and she would tempt him. And Joseph was steadfastly uh, devoted to purity. And he said, no, I won't do that. In fact, not devoted to purity, but devoted to God and devoted to Uh, faithfulness to his master to the point where she seized Joseph so badly wanting to go to bed with him. And he literally fled, leaving his cloak behind. And my question to my kids was, that's great that Joseph did that, but how did he do it? He didn't decide in the moment or, or react in the moment. His heart was prepared to obey the Lord. He had God's word as a guard for his heart. He had God's law confining him and desire for God's glory restraining him. And it's the same way, friends, in spiritual warfare. Don't just cruise along on your pleasure cruiser, you know, with your line bobbing in the water. Not criticizing fishing, but I'm saying don't take a casual approach to your spiritual life 
And then when attack comes, your boat flips over. Friends, we need to be ready and acknowledge this reality now that we are devoting ourselves to readiness. I am not trying to scaremonger the church. I'm not trying to whip up uh, a testosterone-fueled frenzy. I'm not. The purpose of being ready for spiritual battle is not so that we can look at the other churches and say, look how smart we are. Look at our biblical knowledge. Look at how right we are. It's not about that. This is not playing dress up. This is not looking like a better Christian than somebody else. This is about taking up armor for the battle so that we as a Christian family are walking through it faithfully. I don't know what that all looks like. I don't know what's coming our way. I don't know what's coming your way in your life. But I know that God has so lovingly equipped the church to be ready. We do not need to be taken by surprise by Satan and his attacks. We do not need to be destroyed by it. Because we have the spirit of the living God within us and we have the weapons of warfare provided for us in full. And so we're going to look for the next four weeks at the rest of this armor and how it applies in the Christian life and how we can walk in these realities such that we would be victorious.